My guest, Anne Cullen, has coined a new term, nurture burnout. Nurture burnout. How was that never a thing until now? Welcome. I'm Tracy, the host of the Essential Stepmom podcast, your source for information and inspiration about the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. There's a lot of material here for the dads too, because, well, because nobody talks to them about this stuff much, and it's about time that changed. There's nothing about making a step family work that comes naturally. It happens as a result of effort and actual skills that you learn and practice, you know, like tennis or chess. My approach to all of this is a bit, well, unconventional. I like to live outside the box. And if that describes you too, I think we're gonna be friends. Let me hear from you. My super private mailbox is info at essentialstepmom.com and I'm always up for a chat. This is a topic that will be close to your heart, at least for many of you. It describes what the average stepmom experiences at some point or other. I called it stepmom burnout, and Cullen calls it nurture burnout. And she should know because she sees it in lots of women who don't even happen to be stepmoms. It's something we're all at risk of, and she has her finger on exactly what we need to do to prevent it or to bounce back from it. I'll let her tell you all about it herself. Here she is. Hi, Anne. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for being here. No worries. I'm happy to be here. You're all the way in New Zealand. This, I find this remarkable that we're talking just as if we're sitting next door to each other. I know. And my accent used to sound a little bit more like yours, but um, I have a very... <laughs> used accent now so. you do but you have a lovely accent because you're from the states originally where, where are you from not too far away from you from minnesota so you know really close to canada where i spent the first 28 years of my life but um happened to meet the well first came to new zealand fell in love with new zealand and then happened to meet the love of my life who luckily for me was a kiwi and so here we are on the other side of the world now. That's so fun. That's so fun. Yeah. So you and I met in the online space, clearly, because there's no way for me to get to New Zealand right now, although I'd love to go. Yeah. But um, what you do is so interesting. And I think it has such a ready application for my audience. And in fact, just today, I did a little... A live stream to my Facebook group um, about resentment, which is part of stepmom burnout. And I had previously written at length about stepmom burnout, and I I put resentment into a, what I call the stage two of three stages of mm -hmm. stepmom burnout. And your thing is nurture burnout. Yes, that's I I love that term and it's so clear but like tell us more about what you do yeah. well currently at the time we're having this conversation if you were to say google or try to research something called nurture burnout you're not going to get too many hits 
So this is something I'm really happy to be here bringing attention to because we've started to recognize burnout just as a general thing and which is fabulous. Um, the WHO has even recognized it, you know, as a syndrome, but mostly with medical professionals. Mm -hmm. Again, fabulous. But normally when we're talking about burnout and, and kind of how people think about it is to me something that's more because of demands put on you that maybe you don't have a lot of control over. But the difference with nurture burnout, I feel, is that it's largely something we impose on ourselves. The ladies who listen to me today are laughing right now <laughs> because I made this exact distinction today. And I said, some of you are um, resentful about things that other people are putting on you. And some of you are resentful about doing things that in reality you're putting on yourself. Yeah. And, you know, this is said in the gentlest way, because I think the, the, the good news is if it's self-imposed, guess who gets to change it? <laughs> you do, you know, you're in control. Whereas let's say you're, you know, a, a surgeon um, working at a busy hospital right now, um, you probably don't have a lot of control over everything going on in your job and in that hospital and all those things that are impacting your state of well-being aren't so much in your control. Now, of course, that surgeon can do things to help themselves. Um, but in your case, if you're suffering from nurture burnout, or you're on the road to getting there, which is hopefully, you know, we're going to catch it before it gets to burnout. But, you know, you have, you actually have a lot of control over whether this is something that's part of your life or not. Um, and it, it doesn't mean we do that without support, of course, we can talk about that aspect of it, it doesn't mean it's totally up to you. Um, right? Because the point is, you're probably heading for nurture burnout if you're not very good at asking for help. Uh -huh. you know? I was just about to ask you, how would I know if what I'm suffering from would might qualify as nurture burnout? How might I know that? Yeah. Well, again, we've got terms and you, you're talking about burnout with stepmoms and, you know, parent burnout is um, pretty talked about and recognized and we have all these different categories of burnout. And I think of nurture burnout as kind of that overarching, um, you know, burnout, but it's that overarching need or desire um, to look after other people. Hmm. So this isn't just for parents, although it's probably most important that parents, uh, you know, don't suffer from burnout, but, this could be any kind of nurse, a counselor, a social worker, clergy, um, all kinds of people can be on the road to nurture burnout. But basically you are the person that loves to take care of people, loves to support other people, loves to help people on their journey. Um, you know, teachers are a great example. So also um, notice if you, 
tick more than one of those boxes. So maybe you're a parent and you're a teacher. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. And you're a volunteer or, you know, you're, you're taking care of an elderly parent or, you know, it, the more boxes you tick in those nurturing roles, the more of them that you're taking on at once, the more you need to watch out for this. I'm going to give you a special example in my audience of how this maybe plays out because many of the women who are my listeners um, are new to parenting in the sense that they didn't come into this relationship with kids mm -hmm. and they put a very high expectation on themselves about what they're supposed to do to be good enough in this role. And they, they have no limits and no boundaries because um, there's no set there's no set role here. And it's, it's as hard as it is for moms to say, I need a break from my kids. It's a hundred times harder somehow for a woman who's in a stepmom role to say, I need a break from these kids. You feel horrible. I mean, there's an archetype looming there. There's an evil woman looking out from the mirror, so to speak mm -hmm. at us. And the, the archetype is so present that we're really, really fighting against that. And we may also, in this particular audience, have women who are supporting their husband or their partner, their boyfriend, yes. not only in parenting his kids, which is already a big part of the nurturing, but they're supporting him in dealing with possibly the high conflict, the ongoing high conflict in this post-divorce environment and maybe even supporting him in coping with parental alienation, which is like nurture on steroids from my personal experience. Yeah. So there's a great deal of nurture in, in those particular ways for this audience yeah. uh, that is just a little bit special, a little bit different than maybe the other kind of people that you work with? Mostly women, I imagine? Are you mostly working with women? It is mostly women. And, you know, just a little note that I do definitely believe that um, this is not limited to women. Uh, it's just more um, noticeable right now. But as we see this shift, you know, we've, we've, we've got the superwoman thing down. Like we know women are trying to be superwoman. They're trying to be it all. They're trying to be nurturers and successful in, you know, a career perhaps. And, you know, that's, that's a thing. We all know that exists, but I do believe we're seeing this more and more with men because it used to be that a man could go and, you know, make a living support his family financially but he didn't necessarily have to do much more and now he has to be the the great spouse the great father you know and the great provider so yeah we're seeing you know and I, I'm I am afraid we're going to see this much much more um in increasing levels in our men as well mm -hmm. yeah so you know that that is something in my work I've mostly worked with women in this and like I say I, I do think it's just because of that cultural shift where we've gone from it's okay to be at home being the nurturer to now we are meant to do it all and so now we have careers and families and 
relationships and we've got these high high expectations like you say well Um, and if you don't sorry for interrupting you but if you don't work outside the home then you put this massively high bar on your nurturing like that you know if that's all that I have to do I I'd better bloody be perfect at it because I don't have something outside the home that's taking my energy And this is a huge, huge um, problem for women who have chosen or somehow find themselves as stay-at-home moms or stepmoms um, is this feeling of you're not worth anything, really. And so then we are trying to find our worth, whether it's consciously or not, in our caretaking. Um, Honestly, that's what's at the heart of of this road towards nurture burnout is we've got these beliefs about ourselves, which sometimes we're not even aware of having that really says, if I'm not a nurturer, I am not good enough. I am nobody. This is often tied to our, our identity, literally as who I am. I am here. I I resonate so clearly with what you're saying. I went through this period of time. You know, I I have a little brother and I call him my little brother. He's in his middle fifties now. (laughs) (laughs) He'll always be my little brother. And about, I don't know, 15 or so years ago, he, he undertook to start a cafe restaurant. It, It was supposed to be a cafe. It ended up being a restaurant by himself. Okay. He doesn't have a life partner and he didn't have a business partner and he's just doing it by himself. And I, you know, I have a lifetime of being the, the nurturer, the caregiver of my little brother. And I was so involved in like over helping, you know, like really trying to, trying to fill in some of these like impossible gaps in his, you know, life by, you know, trying to, just help him take care of himself and manage his, have food and his apartment and all this stuff while he was doing so much crazy work in his business. And it was burning me out. Mm. And I remember being, you know, sort of really emotionally distraught at one point because I didn't feel like I was doing enough or I wasn't doing a good enough job or I, you know, and I remember my husband kind of pointing out to me that maybe I was going to have to let go of this self-imposed, you know, like he's a grown man. He's a complete, not your little brother. He's not five years old anymore. Like he's a grown man and he's not even asking me to do this. Like he's got his own resources. And I remember lying in bed, like weeping actually and saying, Mm -hmm. who will I be if I let go of this? need to do this for him like I literally couldn't envision who I was without that that's how like deeply hooked I was and it's not as you said it's not something conscious it's like who it was like way deep inside that I had to dig for that so I really really get what you're talking about yeah yeah and it's so common in families I've got this similar experience to you um my little brother did not um, go the restaurant route, but yes, um, wanting to 
take care of him. Um, it's probably what inspired me from the time I was seven years old and he was born mm. to really, you know, get this, my, my need for nurturing out into the world. And yeah. it's like, I wanted to save all the children from mm. all the problems. And really, here's the interesting insight that I've had that took me a long time is who I really wanted to nurture and be nurtured was, of course, myself. What? But, you know, is that me too? <laughs> all, all of these needs that you're projecting out into the world, you know, it's really about this is this is really what I'm desiring for myself. And it's where that that need to please, to help, to say oh, I yes. have to I have to talk about this for just a minute because this is really insightful. Like Again, so many of the women listening now are in this kind of situation where they, like I said, they haven't brought children into this relationship and they're now in the presence of these little people who are activating all kinds of, not just, I call it maternal instinct, but it's really a nurturing instinct. And it's so easy for us to go overboard on that because of all this bottled up, like you said, you know, you were, you were waiting for a little brother to come along to, to give a, like a, a, a stage somehow to your mm-hmm. desire to be a nurturer. And that's why this idea of stepping back or disengaging or letting go or not showing or, you know, whatever words in our language we want to use for it, mm-hmm. it, um, it makes people so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable to think about having to let go of that. And I think that you're probably right. Like we're, we're somehow nurturing ourselves vicariously. Yeah, yeah. We're giving others what we in fact need. Um, That's and, very and profound. Again, should we go back and say that you know, just just to reiterate, if I haven't already said it, nurturing is a good thing. Right? <laughs> like, so this this isn't a discussion about how can we nurture less. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't want to. It's it's not about taking uh, taking away nurturing. Yeah. Because I, I truly believe nurturers hold hold the planet together. I mean, mm. what would the world be like if there was no nurturing? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be in that world, do you? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's not nurturing that's the problem. It's not doing things for people that's the problem. It's what happens when you get really quiet with yourself, take a step back and um, think for a moment, why am I doing this? How much am I enjoying this? What am I getting from this? You know, do I really need to be doing this? And it's really taking those mindful moments. Um, and the more we can can do that on our nurturing journey, the less likely, likely we are to end up in frustration, burnout. Um, well, I, yeah, I wasn't going to say burnout, but like that frustration, resentment, mm-hmm. um, sobbing in bed, yeah. you know, um, when or just completely detached, you know, from like, like those, you know, I don't know if you've had these moments, but I did where it was like, you know what? I just, I just don't care. 
I just don't even care. Like I cannot do this. Yeah. And you know, that's where you're teetering at, at burnout there. Um, and that's really where we want to protect ourselves from getting to. So you have to have micro moments um, and some kind of tools, some kind of skills, some kind of support to be constantly checking in with yourself uh, and noticing, how do I feel about this? Like, well, and how is it really working for me or not? I, I like what you said, because it has to be sustainable. Yeah. You want to be able to sustain the nurturing and to do it in a way that doesn't bring you to a point of, of burnout. So what do, you, what do you offer people who are suffering from nurture burnout? Yeah, well, here's the thing. One of the things I've learned is um, that, like we've kind of touched on, not all of this happens consciously. And even if you're the most self-aware person on the planet, you couldn't possibly be consciously aware of everything uh, you do and why you do it in the moment you're doing it. It's just not possible. Our brains are like hundreds of supercomputers working at once. Like they're so amazing um, that if we were aware of everything we were doing and why we were doing it, we'd literally go crazy. There's just too much to keep track of, right? Mm -hmm. So luckily for me, um, a few years ago, I, you know, I, I knew all of this, but I didn't quite have a, a way to do much about it. Um, and I was fortunate enough to experience something called the MAP method and stands for make anything possible, which I love because um, that's really what it's about. We, we are so powerful. We are such creators. We can, we can really be, do and have whatever we, whatever we desire. Um, but our, our brains, those unconscious parts of our brains, they get in the way. <laughs> get in the way and um you know we've been doing wonderful research since the 90s on on brains and how our minds work and and we know that nothing's permanent we can wire something up one way create a habit or a pattern of behavior we can create an identity or beliefs about ourselves or other people and if they're not working for us we can change them. So it's really, really exciting <laughs> to, <laughs> to know that um, when, when you take a look and, and see that you're nurturing or something else in your life isn't quite working how you want it to be, um, you can actually do something about it. But a lot of times it means getting into that, those patterns, getting into that programming, getting, you know, literally developing new, healthy, um, sustainable, fulfilling habits. So is this, is this um, coaching that you do or what have you got? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, literally what I do is both conscious and unconscious um, coaching or mm. yeah. So this is what I love about using lots of different modalities together. And with map, we're definitely getting into the unconscious programming um, literally just using metaphors and talking to you. Um, it's a really, really nice method. Um, but there are also conscious tools that we need to have in our, in our tool belt, so to speak, right? So um, as much as that those 
uh, those unconscious programs can be rewritten for us and we can repattern that and, and make things run a bit smoother when automatic uh, pilot comes, comes in. Um, there's still times when we want to be able to consciously use a tool um, like deep breathing might be an example. Mm-hmm. You know, when you catch yourself, um, whoa, I'm about to, you know, explode at my partner, um, perhaps, you know, that's always a common one. If you've let things go a little bit too long and you're ready to, you know, flip your lid, lose the mm-hmm. plot, um, to be able to have a conscious skill to kind of pause, breathe, and regroup, you know, is also good. So I work, I work with both when I work with people, whether it's in my individual, um, you know, kind of one-to-one um, consults or groups, um, whatever it might be. I, I think it's really, really important that we have both. And most programs are not really um, taking advantage of what we can do with the unconscious mm. parts of our brain. And so that's what really sets something like the map method apart from I just I've just had my first experiences with the map method and I think it's really yeah. cool yeah, I, yeah I'm uh, I'm loving it actually it's very very interesting oh I'm really glad to hear that because um you know when I first experienced it I was like wow I don't even know what this is but I feel um well it just felt really private to me because I I've been through therapy in the past, I've been through some, I guess what you would call alternative treatments, but um, they were all sorts of things where I had to divulge a lot. I had to talk about a lot of things mm. or bring up the past. Um, kind of some of them were even really where you kind of had to relive the experience mm. almost and kind of almost act them out and, um, you know, be drained for three no, thank days. You. <laughs> Yeah. And just, you know, when you're, especially when I was a a younger person sitting in a therapist's office or something, and then it's like, you still, the reason you're there is maybe because you're feeling shameful about something or guilty about something. Well, when you're in a space of shame or guilt, the last thing you want to do is tell someone what's going on (laughs) in your mind, Mm. you know, Um, especially as a younger person, I, I didn't want to tell people. Mm-hmm. what I was thinking and feeling are you kidding me I'm feeling guilty I'm feeling shameful I'm feeling embarrassed I don't want to tell you mm-hmm. yeah so and this is this is what I have found with map and and hopefully you'll you'll get to do some more because um that's what I found is my clients they don't have to share they can mm-hmm. of course they can um and they often do but they don't have to mm-hmm. um, yeah it works without having to to share all of that and um and it can be done in groups (laughs) which you know it just depends on what what people what people like and what they what they need um and obviously it's not that I don't talk to my clients in a session um but like I say they get to decide how much they share or don't yeah but I think it's really nice that you're you've taken that training that you have and you're using it specifically in the context of helping people who suffer from nurture burnout hopefully as you say before they before they get to a place of being burnt out yeah and you know the reason is because like I say this these behaviors of 
well, I mean, I call myself a recovering nurture addict. You know, mm. it's something I still have to keep myself in check for. But um, ironically, I opened and ran a center here, down here in New Plymouth, um, called the Nurture Center. <laughs> <laughs> the nurturing in me ran so deeply that I, I went about $40,000 in debt running a center called the Nurture, the Nurture Center. So I could provide nurturing to children and families. Here you know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was nothing wrong with what I was doing, but I wasn't being effective at it. And what was happening then is I, you know, it was really at the detriment of my own um, health and well-being and financial situation and, and family. Um, but this need in me was so strong. And of course, when I started that, and as I was going through that process, um, that happened to be the time I was introduced to the MAP method and realized um, that it was my old programming coming back, it, mm. you know, um, and again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to help and support children and families. Obviously, I still want to do that. I still do do that. Um, but it's not okay for me anymore to to do that in an unhealthy way, in, in a way that's not looking after me. And that was set up, you know, these, these things are set up in us as very, very young children. Um, and so that often is why it's so unconscious. We don't even know what has led us. Yeah, to it's hard to get up. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So how can people learn more about your work if they're interested in uh, mm. getting to the bottom of their nurture burnout? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, like I say, we want we want to really develop that self-awareness as early as possible. So if anything resonates, um, I think I think most of us have this little inkling that we are a nurturer and that it it there is being a problematic part of our life right now, or it could be, um, you know, could become even more of a problem. So I say get some support sooner rather than later. Like don't wait until you're at the point of not caring, get some support. So people can go to my website, which is annecullen.com. And we can just book in a little chat, just face to face. Um, and, you know, maybe I can help you. Maybe I can't, but I do group work and I do solo work one-to-one and obviously all on the internet. So um, even though in New Zealand, we can do in person, um, we're pretty, pretty clean sailing down here. Um, but I love working with people online. Um, so if you, if you're curious, you can, you can give the map method a go, or we can just, we can just have a chat and kind of see what the red flags might be, what I think could help you the most. But I think one of the nice things, Tracy, is just knowing that this is, this is a normal, it's really normal for us to want to be that nurturing woman. Yeah. And, you know, and that there's nothing wrong with that. But we also want you to nurture yourself, to learn how to do that, um, to decide to do that, but then, um, really make it your new your new normal your new habit your new pattern this is the you know so you can go forward going I I love being a nurturer and I love taking care of myself you know 
that puts so many pieces together for me. I, I love that. Thank you. That's yeah. great. I'm going to put your website in the show notes. Awesome. So people can find you. And uh, I hope that you'll hear from some ladies here. I hope so too. Only because I want them to, um, yeah, really set some things up differently so that they can feel better and just love, you know, life is for enjoying. Um, and if you just, yeah, feel like you'd really love to just enjoy life a little bit more, um, then I am your woman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Thanks for being here, Anne. You're welcome. So after I stopped the recording, Anne said something about her own stepmom. How did I not know that she had a stepmom? I said, stop, wait, say that again. Everyone needs to hear this. So then I recorded. Listen up. You just said something that was amazing about about your stepmom. Yeah. So my my stepmom, who came into my life when I was four, is I, I would say kind of the, the queen of nurturing. But what what she knew, thanks to her work as a social worker, is that it was my father's role to, you know, be our parent and hers to take a step back from that um and How incredibly insightful of her yeah yeah no she she did that brilliantly um and I was still and to this day am very close to her we have an amazing relationship we joke about her being the step monster um <laughs> you know, but it was never the truth and my brother and I can both attest to the fact that um, we would not be the people we are without her, but she was never in the disciplinarian role. She never um, stepped in to the family dynamic. She was just there supporting us and nurturing us and uh, listening to us and letting my dad be the dad. But this is you brilliant. Know. Like I'm, I love this. So she was the super nurturer and yeah. yet, she didn't do like parenting in no. some way. So how did she manage that? Like where, where was the line? A lot of it was just her, her understanding of um, how family dynamics work. And we know that children, um, they need their, their parents. And if there's a, a mom and a dad in the picture, whether they're together or not, those are um, who they need in in their lives and everyone else is um, bonus really a bonus so what we want is to ensure that those relationships with mother with father are nurturing uh, attached secure safe connected um, and when when we're around um, parents and children, then our job is to facilitate their relationship, really. We're there as a bonus. We're there as an extra. And this is, this is grandparents, aunties, uncles, neighbors, friends, all of it. it you know, nothing matters more than the relationships we have with our parents. That forms us into the people that we are. Um, and, and everyone knows you, you can't actually replace a, a mom or a dad. Well, you, uh, you know it until you are, you're the one who's like washing socks and driving to soccer <laughs> games and 
making macaroni and cheese and cutting the crust off the sandwiches, you know it until then. And then you think like, I'm slaving here. Like, what do I have to do to get some, you know, to get into that family dynamic? And um, it just sounds like your stepmom was so confident in herself that she knew somehow where, what was her part and what was your dad's part? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they did a really good job. And um, it just so happened that my dad was um, a family psychologist as well. (laughs) So, but see, can I also point out just, you know, that we have to remember that if you're in this situation of being a stepmom or a stepdad or divorced or whatever, a lot of it is the, the guilt and shame, um, feelings of, you know, failure, all of that stuff that you're bringing to the table. And, you know, I can't just say, oh, don't have those feelings. Don't worry about it. Um, Even my father, who was a very good psychologist, um, he ran, you know, Minnesota's biggest practice at one time. And he still um, ended up divorcing remarrying and having this this um as part of his life right so um we do need to deal with those things and this is again why we have to bring the focus back to ourselves you can't control how people are talking to you or treating you or how they're responding to each other you can't fix that relationship between a dad and his children Um, you know, I'm a mother, not a stepmother, but I see that even in in my family right now, it's like my husband has his relationship with his kids. I have mine. I can't control how his kids see him, how he sees his children, how they interact with each other. I I cannot, I can only come back to me and to, I wish I could, but I can't, I I wish I could. And I still grapple with that. I'm, I'm still trying to like manipulate in some way the relationship between my husband and his kids yeah I see myself I now I catch myself doing it and I but right um, and that's that's the important piece Tracy is this is where we come back to self-awareness so self-awareness is at the center of it all in fact I've got a model (laughs) that I've created um and at the center of it is self-awareness because you have to have that awareness. Otherwise, you, you can't stop yourself from those behaviors. So there's a very different um, outcome when you have a, a feeling or a need, like I want to manipulate, but you don't recognize it. You're not self-aware enough yeah. to stop it and catch yourself. You can still have the feeling. No one said you can't feel like you want to have control. No one said you'd have to stop feeling shame or guilt or frustration or resentment. You don't have to stop feeling any of that, but what you need is to become self-aware enough to notice that feeling, catch yourself and say, okay, how do I want to respond now that I have this awareness? You know, well, I don't want to manipulate and control, you know, that ain't working for me. So I'm, I'm going to stop myself and I'm, I can then say, wow, I really, I'm scared when I look at your relationship 
I feel this fear of like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen if these two can't make things work? And I get so scared when I think about that. And then when I'm feeling so scared, then I want to control it. And I want to protect your relationship for you. And I want to, I want everything to be different. And, and I think it's my responsibility. I start to feel so responsible. Yeah. Like I should have control here. I should be able to fix this and do something about it. And I should be able to help you. Right. You um, inside my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I have talked to so many women in the last 30 years or so um, that, yeah. And I've, I've been there myself on, on different levels. So yeah, like I say, it's, it's that self-awareness piece I want everyone to come back to. And, and if you're not able to get there quite yet and be like, yes, I'm going to take my self-awareness. I'm going to be responsible now for myself and not for everyone else. Well, it, it's just not that easy. You, you yeah. don't just decide, but that's a step. It's a step to decide like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to focus on myself, my own reactions to things, figure out why I, this matters to me so much, mm-hmm. figure out what I'm so afraid of, etc. cetera. Um, take the focus off everyone else and just focus on yourself. <laughs> I should probably invite Anne's stepmom to come on this podcast. She was like the OG smart stepmom. Some women can just feel it in their bones, and some have the professional training to know what the family actually needs from them. I guess I fall into that category. I was trained in family dynamics and childhood development and in human psychology. I squeezed every last bit of juice out of that training to deal with what came up for us in this step family journey. And I have no idea how people cope who don't have any of that background. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing that stuff here and especially why I feel so strongly about creating resources for the dads. There are plenty of dads who suffer from nurture burnout and for them, it's about trying to keep everyone happy. His partner, his kids and his ex who can truly make his life a living hell if he doesn't play his cards right. It's exhausting And it's easy to lose track of how to balance those things and how to look after yourself with all that going on. So what does nurture burnout look like in a man? It looks like debilitating migraines or stomach ulcers. It looks like heavy drinking or insomnia or less interest in sex or bad moods or withdrawal or no joy in anything. And who wants to live like that? What I love about life coaching is that it goes straight for solutions without a lot of rubbing salt into old wounds. It's about rewinding your springs so you can get back at it with new energy. It's about making smart strategies so you can stop just throwing darts at whatever comes along. If you know a dad who's done being pushed around by the divorce that wouldn't end and wants to keep his kids from being drawn away weekend after weekend, send him over for a chat. I'll be glad to explain my undeletable dad system and how it can help him get back up on the parent pedestal and keep him there for good. Go to bit.ly 
bit.ly slash call Tracy, all capital letters. That's bit.ly slash call Tracy, all caps. And let's find out if this program is a good fit for you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.